or a discovery of end-time events. That's how most of us look at Revelation. When we approach the book of Revelation, we think about how we're going to find out what's going to happen in the last days, and how we're going to find out about all the great earthquakes and, and hailstorms and, and, and government systems. And, and as I've said, all of that information you can find there. But if you read the first page, it says that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the book is written so that the church of Jesus Christ can see a risen Savior exalted to the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling over all else, to see him as he truly is. The disciples had always seen Jesus in a glorious manifestation uh, as, as the, the king who was born in Bethlehem, as the carpenter's son who walked along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, who fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes, who who uh, raised the dead and, and cleansed the lepers and cast out devils and walked on the water and calmed the seas. And all of that was glorious and miraculous. And they accepted him as their Messiah. The only thing is, they thought that he was coming to establish a physical, political kingdom on the earth that would make all of their temporary, practical dreams come true. And they found out that Jesus didn't come to do that. He actually came to establish a spiritual kingdom in the hearts and the minds of men that would change all of the earth for all time to rule in people's hearts and minds. He suffered in our place. He died for our sins and he rose again on the third day and lives forevermore. He ascended into heaven. And that was the last time the apostles had saw Jesus and he'd given them a promise that he would come again in the same way he had left. But now John sees him while he's on the Isle of Patmos and when he sees the same Jesus that he walked and talked with and shared meals with and even leaned on his chest during the Last Supper and even he and his brothers, if you were here Wednesday night, we talked about John and James even disputed uh, among themselves and argued among themselves who the greatest disciple was when, when Jesus was actually here. All they could see was their own ambition. Now when John sees the risen Jesus, in chapter 1, he fell down, face down, as a dead man in front of him. Quite frankly, I don't think he would have ever gotten up. He said that Jesus came over and put his hand and said, rise up, it's me. I'm the one who lived and died and is risen again. Don't be afraid. And he gives him this revelation of who he is and how he rules. And that's what we come to the book of Revelation to see. We also found out that the first part of Revelation, what we're going to talk about, is a revelation of the message of Christ to the church. Everything you're going to read about, everything we're going to talk about in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation is written to the church. Now, there are different interpretations of what church he's talking about. There were seven literal churches in Asia Minor during this time by these names, and obviously it pertained to them. However, seven is the number of wholeness or completions, and symbolically it pertains to them. All churches of all time. In Revelation 2, one of the last things we talked about last week, which blesses me, is this, the golden lampstands, the seven lampstands that Jesus shows John in this vision. He says, these are the seven churches. The stars are the angels or the messengers of the churches. And the greatest thing that we find is that Jesus holds the messengers of the church in his right hand. That's his place of power. That'd be that one. That's his place of power and majesty and authority. He holds his messengers, and yes, he's talking about maybe angels, maybe pastors, 
But all of us are a kingdom of priests in Christ Jesus. He holds you in the place of his power and his authority. If there's nothing else that you get, you understand that the resurrected, exalted, enthroned Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right now today, holds you in the place of his power and authority. He holds you in his hand. You're not just kind of left floating around to your own desires, doing whatever you can come up to do. If you are a child of God, he holds you in his hand. How do I know that? Because Paul told the Corinthian church that every child of God has been given the ministry of reconciliation and that every child of God has been committed to the message of reconciliation, crying out to all men everywhere, be reconciled to God. You have a ministry. Not only are you a Christian, you are a Christian with a ministry. You're the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. Jesus did not leave his mission just to a few select elite people somewhere all over the globe, just missionaries and apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He set up those fivefold ministries, and yet he's given every child of God a ministry. And he doesn't leave you alone. He holds you. So right now, no matter what's going on in your life, you need to understand this. Jesus holds you in his hand. Second thing you need to understand is Jesus is right in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Those are the churches. You want to know where Jesus is right now? He's right in the middle of his church. Now, I'd be the first to agree with you. We talked about this a little bit as we were closing last week. There are problems in the church. The church is far from perfect. Do you know why the church is far from perfect? Because you're in it. And so am I. And apart from Christ, we're far from perfect. We come in here and we bring our baggage with us. We come in here and we bring our preconceived ideas with us. As, as the Holy Spirit ministered to this morning, we come in here bowed down with burdens, weights of cares, and oppression and depression and stress and anxiety and fear and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and grief. Many times we come in here holding grudges. Many times we come in here already having made up our mind that we don't really have time for God to do a whole lot today because we got a lot to do when we get out of here and we're just hoping that Pastor Lynn finishes in time so that I can get out of here and do what it is I've got to do after I get out of here, right? So we come into church and we bring a lot of things with us so the church is not perfect. And the church is messed up in a lot of ways, but we're still his church. The body of Christ belongs to him, and he's still walking right in the midst of the church. And his ultimate plan is still going to be fulfilled by the church of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus calls the church, that's all Christians everywhere, his bride. So let me just give you a little word of caution. It's okay to honestly talk about problems with the church if you're looking to be a solution to it. But I'd be real careful about criticizing the church because when you criticize the church, you're criticizing his bride. And I don't know how you feel about it, but there's a lot of things you can talk about about me, but you better not go around criticizing my wife to me. I don't want to hear that. We will have a problem. Is she perfect? Well, Ooh, how did I just get myself into it? Wait a minute. Back up the truth. Go ahead and finish. Let me back up just a minute. Compared to me, Yes. Let's see, maybe that'll work. Uh-oh. But none of us... <laughs> but none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. However, his perfection, his righteousness is applied to us, but we're still his bride. So be careful when you're just criticizing the body of Christ for no good reason. Because let me tell you something, Jesus loves his church. You better be glad of that because you're part of it. 
He loves me, and he loves you. And that brings us to Revelation chapter 2. These words are in red in my Bible because the words of Christ are written in red. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things, says he, who holds the seven stars, those are the messengers of the churches in his right hand, and he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Those are the churches, just like we talked about. I know your works. Matter of fact, one of the first things Jesus is going to say to every one of the seven churches, so no matter where you find yourself as we go through this message, because you will find yourself in every one of these churches. You might find a little bit of yourself in all seven of them. But to every one of them, the first thing he says is, I know you. I know you. And that's, that's a very intimate and a very deep word. He's saying, I see you. I know, I know everything about you. He specifically says about every church, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know why you're doing it. I know the things that everybody sees, and I know the things that nobody sees. I know what you're thinking. The Bible says that God knows the words that we're going to say before they're ever formed on our tongue. He knows the very thoughts of our mind. He knows your dreams. He knows your ambitions. He knows what your motives are. Matter of fact, he knows your motives better than you do. He knows. And that can be both comforting and disconcerting depending on what you think about God. You see, God really is all-powerful. He can do anything, anytime, anywhere. He really is all-knowing. He knows everything about everything all the time. And he is omniscient. He is everywhere all the time. And he never changes. And when you think about it, and by the way, there is no other entity like that. The devil's not like that. There's not an angel like that. There's certainly not a human being or a government like that. God is unique. He is transcendent. He is above and beyond all else. That's the God we serve. And to know a God like that and to know that he literally knows everything. It can shake you up a little bit if you don't believe that he loves you. Matter of fact, it, it can terrify you if you don't know his motive and his heart. But the awesome thing is God has revealed over and over again. Matter of fact, Jesus came and, and when one of the disciples said to him, Lord, show us the Father. I believe it was Philip. And, and Jesus looked at him and said, Philip, have you been with me this long? And you don't even really know who I am? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So for all of the generations who have tried to figure out what God looks like, what he sounds like, how he thinks, and how he reacts, and how he responds, and how he moves, Jesus says, when you look at me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God thinks, look at me. If you want to know what God would say in any certain situation or circumstance, then listen to me. If you want to know what God would do in a certain situation, then watch me, because Jesus is literally God in human flesh. And he said, I am the I am. Watch me. Matter of fact, one of my favorite things that Jesus tells us to compare the Father to, or the relationship we have with the Father to, is he says, if you be an evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask you. Talk about if, if a child comes and asks for bread, would you give them a stone? If he asks for an egg, would you give him a serpent? He said, if you be an evil, know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to them, his children, 
when they ask of him. Over and over, God compares himself. Jesus compares the heavenly father to an earthly father. Now, maybe you didn't have a relationship with your father that was great, so you can't really comprehend that, but God is a perfect heavenly father. He never leaves us. He's always with us. He's Loves us. He's, he's the father of the prodigal son, who even though the prodigal son went out and spent everything the father had given him on wild living, when he came to his senses and he came walking down, coming home, hoping to just maybe be a slave in his father's house, his father saw him coming from a great distance, and he runs to meet him, embraces him, puts the best robe on him, gives him his signet ring, representing the authority of the family, once again, kills the fatted calf, has a great celebration for him, because the son who had gone away has now come. Home. That's the heart of the Father. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus reveals it. And he says, look, I'm right here. I'm holding my messengers with my right hand, and I'm walking in the midst of the church, and I know. You know what that tells me? It tells me I don't have to play any games. Amen. I don't have to try to be somebody I'm not. I don't have to try to impress you, and you don't have to try to impress me. I certainly don't have to try to impress God. Why would I ever try to do that anyway? He already knows. I don't have to try to be fake. I can just be genuine and real and authentic because God knows. I also don't have to get in a big uproar about whatever's going on. I don't have to try to jump around and make God do something because, or, or, or tell God what's going on all the time because God already knows. He knows everything that's going on in my heart. He knows everything that's going on. He even knows my concerns that I haven't told anybody else. He knows what my dreams and my ambitions are. So I don't have to convince God of anything because he already knows. So it takes all kinds of pressure off of me, and I can just have a relationship with this father who loves me so much. This father who's all-powerful and all-knowing in every world of time. There's no limit to the scope of his reach, and he loves me. And he knows me. Yes. said, I know your works. And notice what he says to the church at Ephesus. See if you find yourself anywhere here. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience or endurance. He says, you can't bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And you found them to be liars. You've persevered. You've gone through a lot otherwise, and, you, and you've held on to the faith and persevered. And you've had patience. There it is again. He says that. And you've labored. There that word is again. And you've done it for my name's sake. And you've not become weary. A glowing commendation from the Father. Then twice he says, gosh, you've worked really hard. I know you. You've worked hard. You've worked hard, and it's not been easy. Not only have you worked hard, you've gone through a lot. Twice he said, you've been patient, you've endured, you've persevered, and you've got a hatred in your heart for evil. You don't want anything to do with evil. And when somebody goes around and says, hey, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, I'm this, I'm that, you don't just take it at face value. You test it. You discern it. You find out whether they're telling the truth or not. If they're not really telling you the truth, you dismiss it and lie. All of those are good things. Wouldn't you like for the Father to know that about you? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Father told you or told me, hey, I know this about you. I know you're working hard. And I know you've gone through a lot. And I know you've had to endure some things. And I know 
that you've been faithful to my word and for my name's sake. And I know that you don't like what's evil. And I know that you've been discerning. And God does know all of that about the church in Ephesus. But then he says this, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You've left your first love. The amazing thing to me is that the church could do all these great things for all the wrong reasons. I mean, anybody looking at this church from the outside in would say, this is a great church. They do all the right things. They say all the right things. They go all the right places. If it's wrong, they don't do it. If it's wrong, they don't want to have anything to do with it. And all of those things are good. They're patient and they work hard. But they do it all without any passion for the Christ that they love. Not that they never had it. And they sure didn't lose it. They just left it. So there's one thing. There's one problem. You've left your first love. It is possible to do all of the right things and forget why you're doing it. It is possible to endure all kinds of things for the Lord's sake and yet forget why you ever started it's possible to work hard and go through a lot and be discerning and be faithful and not do anything wrong and yet do it all without any passion or any joy or any life from the inside. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands, but if you can identify with that, you're not alone. Now, real quick, before I say anything else, I want to remind you, he's not writing any of these letters to unbelievers. He makes... For sure that you understand, every one of these letters are written to the church. So he's writing to Christians. So you can be a Christian and lose your passion. You can be a Christian and lose your first love. You can be a Christian and do all the right things while forgetting the reason you're even doing those things. I'm coming to church. Well, why are you coming to church? It's just Sunday morning. So what I do, besides if I don't go, pastor's going to text me and say, why were they, you know, uh, uh, we missed you. <laughs> By the way, I only do that because we miss you. I'm not trying to hound you about it. I just, we miss you. But why? You remember why you used to come to church when you first got saved? You remember that? Oh, man, you're so hungry. You know why? Because you didn't know, listen, you didn't know anything and you knew you didn't know anything. Everything was brand new. Man, I need to understand the Bible. I don't know anything about the Bible. I want to learn about the Bible. I don't know anything about the presence of God, but I know it, I, I love the presence of God, so I want to be in the presence of God. And I need to surround myself with the people of God because, man, the people I love around away before I began to know God, they're not going to encourage me in the walk I have with God. So I, I need to get to know the family of God. And, and, and we were just excited. We were just glad to be here. You couldn't really have too much church. You might not be able to make it every time they had it, but, man, you, didn't ever, you were glad they were having it when they were having it because you love to hear the word of God and you love to be around the people of God and you love to be in the presence of God. And so now we're coming because it's Sunday. Well, why, why, why do you sing those songs in worship? Well, because they're on the screen. 
But it's time that, I mean, I'd look kind of stupid if I just sat down and didn't say anything. Everybody else is. You remember why you used to sing those songs? Do you remember how you used to sing those songs about the love of God and it would just hit you right in your gut about how much God loved you and what he's done for you and tears would begin to stream? Maybe you don't cry much, but something would touch you in your heart and you just couldn't worship God enough. Well, Pastor, I'm glad worship got better, but you sing those same old songs over and over again. And I said, yeah, but you know those same old songs used to grab you right where you live. Same words, you know. Words didn't change. Who we're singing to didn't change. So what changed? See, sometimes we forget why we're here. Why do you do all those ministries that you're engaged in? I mean, y'all go do this, and you do that, and you teach, and you, you serve here, and you serve there. My goodness, it's a busy world. I know you've got a busy life, but why do you do those things? Well, because I signed up to do it. My goodness, I'm tired of doing it. There ain't nobody else to do it. I said, I'd feel bad if I didn't do it. Yeah, but why did you do it when you started? And you just, man, I was just, oh, that God would use me. See, I remember the first time the Lord ever spoke, gave me something to say. It actually made a little bit of sense when it came out. And then I felt like somebody might have been touched by it. I remember that feeling. Why, why am I doing it now? Why do you do it? See, we can do the right things. God knows your words. It's not that he doesn't see it. So some of you feel like, oh, I serve all the time. I do all this all the time. And nobody sees it. Oh, no, there is one who sees it. God really does see it. He sees everything you do. And that's awesome. But he also sees all the reasons why. I know your works, but there's one thing here. You've left your passion for me. You've left your first love. Now, here's the prescription that Jesus gives the church at Ephesus to turn things around. He says, number one, first of all, remember. That's why I've been trying to get you to think back. Because you see, the first step to retaining your passion for God, see, you didn't lose it. They didn't lose it. If you lost it, it might be hard to find. They didn't lose it. They left it. See, if I lost something, I might not know where it is, but if I left something, I know where it is. I can go back and look at it. I think it's wonderful that he says you left your first love. See, you know where it's at. You can go back and get it. How do I do that? You start by remembering. Remember what it was like to just be so appreciative that God would love you? Remember what it was like to be so blown away that Jesus' blood would forgive you? Do you remember what it was like to just be so blessed to be a part of the family of God? Do you remember what it was like to just be feel just so blown away when you would read anything in Scripture and it make any sense at all? Because you used to read the Bible maybe a little bit before you were saved or hear people talk about it, none of it made any sense. And now it may not be that every verse comes out and blows you away, but, but at some point, sometimes something just leaps out at you, something somebody says, something in some message, something in your daily devotional, something in a Christian song or something that you hear, all of a sudden leaps out and grabs you. And that never happened before. Do you remember what it felt like? Remember. Keep remembering. Because eventually, remembering will ignite a hunger and a thirst inside of you and a conviction from the Holy Spirit to say, look, you've left something behind that you need. 
It's interesting to me that, and by the way, this, this could come back and, 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 and bite me, I guess, but, but it's important that you understand. Apparently to Jesus, the passion for his presence is more important than the works that you do for him. Your love and relationship with him and how you respond to him in that relationship is even more important than all of the ministry that you may ever do. See, there's a lot of people that think that all churches are interested in is what they can get out of you or all God wants is whatever he can get out of you. And Revelation 2 just tells a different story. God didn't just call you because he wants you to do this ministry or serve in this way or give him your money or whatever the case may be. For goodness sakes, God doesn't need any money. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills and he made the hills that they walk on. The earth is the Lord's and the seas and all that dwell therein. He's the owner of it all. You wouldn't even have the ability to go out and work a job and make money to begin with. Has God not put breath in your body and opened doors for you? It's not a matter of God trying to get something from you. What God wants is the relationship, the intimacy. That's what he had with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before they fell. He would come and walk with them in the midst of the garden in the cool of the day. And that's what Adam and Eve gave up. Just so that they could have more power and more control. How often do we give up what's really important for the same reason? But you can go back and get what you left, but it starts by remembering. Remember from which you've fallen and then repent. That's not a word that modern-day Christians like to hear. As a matter of fact, there are some teachers who teach that you don't have to repent anymore, but that's not true. Because obviously, I don't know if you realize where this is in, this is not only the New Testament, this is the last book of the New Testament. And Jesus is the one speaking, and he still says, to the church, repent. So if Jesus in the last book of the New Testament is talking to the church and says, hey, you need to repent, then my guess is the church still needs to repent sometimes. Would that not be a proper assumption? Amen. Brother so-and-so on TBN or whatever you watch said I didn't have to. Well, then brother so-and-so is wrong and Jesus is right. right. Oh. By the way, any book you read or any teacher you listen to that disagrees with what Jesus says, guess what? They're wrong. He's right. Follow Jesus and you'll be in good shape. So he says, remember from which you've fallen and then repent. Repent means not only to change your mind about it, but it's not just changing your mind. It's coming into agreement with what God says and changing the direction of your life. That's repentance. You can come to the altar ten times a day, seven days a week, and feel sorry for what you've done, even to the point of tears, and even agree that God's right about it. But until you change directions, You've not fully repented. You say, well, I can't change directions on my own. You're right. The Holy Spirit has to enable you. But why do you think you feel convicted to begin with? You don't feel convicted about your sin because you're such a good person. I hate to bust your bubble, but there are none of us who are good. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. In my flesh dwells no good thing. If you and I were left to ourselves, we would do every bad thing we could think of and would never feel sorry about it. Didn't you do pretty good at that before you got saved? Yeah. And then one day, the Lord got a hold of your heart, and the Holy Spirit came to reside within you, and now you can't get away with anything without feeling. I'm not saying you can't do it. You can still do it all you want to, but all of a sudden, you don't feel the same way. 
The Holy Spirit convicts you of that sin. And that conviction don't, don't go away until you get that thing right unless you just keep saying no to the Holy Spirit. you got to repent. you got to turn around. you got to make a change. What's interesting to me is, number one, these are Christians, okay? Don't forget that. These aren't unbelievers. Number two, they were doing a lot of great things. And as a matter of fact, there's not any moral thing that they seem to be getting wrong. Jesus did not get on to them because they were going out doing something horrible. They weren't involved in witchcraft. They weren't worshiping idols. They weren't going out stealing or killing or any of that. He didn't even say they were gossiping. He just said you left your first love. But that's dangerous enough because that's where all the other starts. See, churches around the world, and particularly in America, are filled with people who do all the right things, but they forgot why they're doing it, and it's just a matter of time until they begin to embrace some of the old things that they walked away from. So his compassion tells him, or uh, causes him to tell the church, remember and repent. Turn this thing around. Get this thing right. Come back home. Come back to me. Now, this is an important point. He says, remember, therefore, from which you've fallen. Repent and do the first works. Now, unless you think he's talking about some ministry or some service, what are the first works? Well, I don't know what you did, but when I got saved, I knew that there were certain things I needed to do to get to know God. Number one, I needed to start praying. I needed to talk to God. Now, my prayers were not eloquent when I first got saved. Matter of fact, I don't even know if I prayed the right way all the time. There was no specific pattern. Anytime I read a book by a different teacher, I tried to adapt whatever pattern that they suggested. So I probably tried 155 different patterns of prayer, 155 different methods. I prayed early in the morning. I prayed late at night. I prayed in the middle of the day. I prayed kneeling. I prayed walking. I prayed standing. I prayed with my eyes open. I prayed with my eyes shut. I prayed positive confessions and not tried to say anything negative. And then there's been times when I just poured out my heart to God and told every negative thing that I could think of just because I was so heartbroken before the Lord. You know what? I think God heard every one of them. Because what God is more interested in is your heart than your method. But I had to pray. I had to spend time talking to God. I had to let him talk to me. And because let's just get real, I'm going to be real honest with you. I trust him better than I trust you. And I trust him better than I trust myself. So the place I go to hear God is not a prayer meeting or a prophecy meeting. The place I go to hear God is the word. I go to the word to hear what God says. Because you might be wrong and I might be wrong, but his word is never wrong. So I'm going to go to his word. And by the way, if you tell me God told you to tell, tell me something... Bless your heart, I'm going to listen, and then I'm going to go to the Word and see if you're right. If the Word says you're wrong, then I'm going to pat you on the shoulder and know that you're wrong and not pay any more attention to what you said. I may not ever say a word to you, but I'm not going to pay a lick of attention to what you said if God's Word says you're wrong. I'm going to God's Word. That's how I know what God says to me. Those were some of the first things I did. I got a Bible, a Bible that I can understand. I got a Bible. Now, I know there's some people think it has to be just the old King James. I hope that I don't jump on your toes, but I hope you do understand that Jesus did not read King James. It was an English translation. He did not speak English. He could have, but that's not what anybody that day could understand. So you just get a translation, a good translation. By the way, 
The King James is a translation. That's what it is. And I know there are people who will fight over that, but the King James is only a translation. So whether it's the New King James or the King James or, or, or the New Living Translation or whatever it is, get, get a Bible that you can understand that speaks in a language that you get with words that you get that don't trip you up all the time and read God's Word. That was probably one of the first things you did. If you're not doing that now, you need to go back and do the first things. I'll tell you something else I almost guarantee you you did. You went to church. I don't know where you went to church, but I, I figure when you first got saved, you went to church somewhere. You were probably there every time you could get there. For every service. Man, I went to church services when I first got saved and started following God, was hungry after God, and I had no business being there. I would try to get to every, if it was a meeting and somebody's going to be talking about the Word of God, I wanted to be there. I was hungry. I went to churches, I went to meetings and prayer meetings too that were just for adults when I was 12, 13, 14, 15. I don't know why they let me in or how I got in, but I got in. And I was praying. Listen, some of the greatest experiences that I ever had with God were in meetings that I wasn't even supposed to be at just because I was hungry. That's how I met, by the way, if you remember Gary Palermo, really met him. It's because I went to a daytime prayer meeting when no other teenagers were there, but I was just hungry for God. And I don't know, God just drew Gary over to me, and he prayed over me, and then we got to know each other when I was about 14 years old. And that's why I still know him today. God just opened up relationships and opened up all kinds of things because I was hungry for God. And when you're hungry for God, you find a way to get where God is. No matter, you just find a way to get there. I turned on, I was listening to, listen, I'm not saying that the only music in the world is Christian music. I'm not even saying all Christian music is good. Let's just be honest. Some Christian music isn't that good. But I was hungry for God, so I listened to all the Christian music I could get my hands on. Back then, I, I'm boy, what am I doing? Larry will always let me know when I might make people mad. I might make some more people mad here in a bit. But, but back then, I thought the only kind of music that God blessed was stuff you sung out of hymnals and choir music and a certain style, which is okay. But it sure wasn't the style that I liked. But you know what? I listened to it anyway. Grew to appreciate it anyway. Because I was just hungry for God. So I wanted to get God wherever I could get him. It was great when my youth pastor one day played a tape. It was Christian that played music that I actually liked. And said, here were my very words. That can't be Christian. He said, yes, it is. And I said, who is it? Petra. <laughs> I said, glory to God. You have blessed me today. Where can I get these tapes? Tapes. It was a long time ago. Cassette tapes. So I went and picked up all the cassette tapes I could. And they talked about Jesus. And there were times when I was listening to their music that I'd be kind of drifting off. And the song, by the way, the difference between good Christian music and bad Christian music is good Christian music actually has the word of God in it. Bad Christian music, you can't tell who they're talking to, whether they're talking to Jesus as their Savior or somebody they're in a relationship with. So there was no doubt in their music that they were talking about Jesus. And it would cause me to have conviction. And I get right with God. But those were the first words. That's what I did. I was hungry. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? I remember I had music at that time that didn't glorify God at all. And I didn't ever want to listen to it again. So I threw those things away. And since we weren't really very wealthy, 
to throw away records. Back then you had to, it didn't cost that much. I could get 13 for like a penny through Columbia House. Boy, those were the days. Anybody remember that? I think they got wise and realized people were just making money on them, so they quit doing that. But still, they were precious to me. But Jesus was more precious, so I threw away. What did you do when you first got saved? You didn't want anything in your life that would hurt your relationship with Jesus. Isn't it amazing how when we start losing our passion for him, that we still go to church and we still sing songs. We may even still do a devotion. We just forgot what we're doing it for. And instead of doing it to hear Jesus, we're just doing it to get through it because it's what we're supposed to do because we're a good Christian. And we go to church because we're a good Christian, but we only go when we absolutely have to. And, and, and we don't worry about not going any other time because we're not really there to meet with Jesus. We're just there because it's what we do on a Sunday morning at a certain time. And when we sing the songs, we sing the songs listening for whether it's the music that I like and the song that's playing on Caleb, or whether it's the, just a song that glorifies God so that I can worship Jesus today because that's what I'm here for. And, and, and when we're around the people of God, sometimes we're just with them because we have to be because, quite frankly, we don't really like any of them and don't know why that we're supposed to be with them anyway. And so we don't understand how they could add any value to our life. So we want to get in as soon as we can, out as soon as we can. And, and, that's, and, and we don't mind letting things into our life that we used to wouldn't touch because why? We've lost our first love. So remember and go back and do the first works. And things may not change overnight, but I guarantee you, if you go back and start doing the first works, things will change over time. Now, what happens when we don't? Because this is important as well. He says, go back and do the first works, or I will come to you. Now, that sounds good right there if we stop right there. I will come to you. Bless God, that's all we need. We need Jesus. And we do. Let me just jump on another false little idea. How I many you know 1 Corinthians 13 says God is love? So God is love. But if you're a parent, do you understand that love has to have boundaries and parameters? Have you figured that out yet? If you haven't, you will. And do you understand that there can't be real love without discipline? Now, I know that's not a popular word anymore, but if you're a parent, you either already know that or you will find that out either the easy way or the hard way. There's no such thing as love without discipline. And God is perfect love, but he's also a just God. And he will discipline. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews spends a long time talking about not despising the discipline of God. Because the fact that God disciplines his children actually proves that we are real children and not illegitimate children. That we really do belong to the family. He really does care about us. He's not just interested in another name or another number at church. He wants to make us whole and healthy spiritually. So he says, if you don't repent and you don't go back and do the first words, I will come to you. And I'll come to you quickly. But what he's going to do, he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now this gets a lot of Christians torn up because they think what that means is that Oh, man, does that mean we're not saved anymore? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. What is a lampstand for? If you put a, a, a light on a lampstand, what does it do? It reflects. It, it gives light. It, it makes a difference. What would happen if a light is taken off of the lampstand? What happens? You lose all influence. You lose all impact. You make no difference. You're still, see, here's the amazing thing. You're still there. 
You're just not making any difference. There's just no light. You're still having church. She's just forgotten why. You're still going through all the motions, and you may even, and this church was still doing some good things. Working hard at it, as a matter of fact, but for all the wrong reasons. You see, Jesus is saying, unless you repent, you're going to lose your influence. You're going to lose your impact. You'll be there. You'll still go through the motions. You'll still have Sunday morning service. You'll still sing all the songs. You'll still take up the offerings. You'll still hear a message priest. You'll still have ministries going on. You may even work really, really, really hard and go through a lot. But there will be no light. There will be no impact. There will be no influence. Your life will be removed from the stand unless you repent. Now, as an individual Christian, how do I take this? Do you ever feel like you've lost all impact? Do you ever feel like whatever salt and light you were has ceased to be? Do you ever feel like you're still going through the motions, you're still doing all the right things, but you forgot why, and there's no joy, and there's no peace, and there's no life, and there's no impact, and there's no light coming? Do you ever feel that way? Well, don't get discouraged and don't despair. Just repent. Repent. Remember. Repent. Go back and do the first works. Remember. Repent. Go back and do the first works. I don't have time. You got the same amount of time you did when you first got saved. You still got 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. What happened? What's the difference? You've now filled your life with something else. Go back. Remember. Do the first words. Repent. Change that. Change that. Matter of fact, I'm going to make a statement that's going to sound very strong. And I know it's a whole lot harder to do than it is to say. But I don't believe the modern day church of America will ever get to where God wants it to be and be what it needs to be for the world around us unless we learn to let go of some things that we've allowed in our lives. And I'm not even talking about bad things. Until we learn to get rid of distractions. I believe distractions are the idols of the modern day church. And I believe we bow down to them every single day of our lives. They're not things that really matter. They're not things that really make a difference. They're not things that change anything. They're just things that we've gotten used to doing and we do them every day. It's not that we couldn't stop doing them in our life. We'll keep on marching. It's just that we've gotten used to doing them every day of our life. They're just distractions. And we feel like we can't really go back and do the first works of following God because we've got all of these things that seem so precious to us. I'm telling you, if you want the light back, if you want the influence back, if you want the passion back, if you want your joy back, if you want your peace back, you need to remember, you need to repent and do the first works. Find a way. Find the time. I guarantee you, you'll never regret it. He even adds one more good thing. He says, but this you have. There's another good thing here. You do hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's important because he's going to say that more than once when he's talking to churches. So who are these Nicolaitans? The Nicolaitans, the word means controlling the laity. It was a group of people who thought they had a superior knowledge about the things of God, and they tried to control everything that the church did. They felt like they were better than everybody else, so they told everybody else what to do. And I think this is interesting. Jesus said he hated that. That's pretty strong. 
He didn't just say, I don't like it. He said, I hate that. I hate that. Be, be very careful when you let other Christians control your life. I don't care who they are. But they've got this great gift. I don't care what it is. God did not give anybody the gift of controlling another person. Period. End of story. But they do it in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter. He said he hates that. And you see, the Ephesus church, because they hated anything that was not really real, they spied that out and found it. And they hated it too. And Jesus said, hey, you've got one more thing going for you. At least you hated it. Place. All in all, this sounds like a great church. Sounds like a church I'd be glad to be a member of. And yet, even though they had all those things going, they still had no passion for Christ. They forgot why. So the first church he talks to is a church that's morally pure. A church that's doctrinally pure. They don't have any time for false doctrine. A church that works extremely hard. A church that endures and goes through a lot without letting go of the name of Christ. And yet, they didn't have their first love. They lost their passion. They lost their intimacy with Jesus. And see, the amazing thing, and again, I want to say this to anybody who ever struggles with, well, you know, the church or Jesus is just all about what they can get out of you. Understand this. If that were true, this would not be in the Bible. Because if all Jesus wanted was what he could get out of you, then this church had it going on in spades. He would not have directed them to change. He would have just commended them and let it be. But in the eyes of Jesus, you can do everything right. And if you lose the reason you're doing, for, doing it for, it's not enough. He wants you i about to say something very important to you. He wants you more than he wants your service. He wants you. He loves you. You know, Jesus said, when people were coming to him, he said, you know, you, you think because you're a child of Abraham, because you're a Jew, you're a religious Jew, and you follow the law, that how useful you are to God. But he said, look, I could raise up Children from these very rocks and these very trees. What is he saying? He said, hey guys, if I just need somebody to slave away for me, I could raise them up anywhere. If I just need somebody who will just, uh, just follow me without any passion for me, who will just do all kinds of works of service for me, who will do all, I could raise, I, I could create. But Jesus wanted disciples. You see, we don't understand many times in modern day America what a disciple really was. See, people would join themselves to a great teacher, a rabbi in those days, to be their disciple. And, you know, we, we look at what the disciples did. They left their debts and they followed him. You know, they left what they knew and they followed him. And we, we kind of look at that as being extraordinary because to us that's extraordinary. But, you know, most all disciples and rabbis did that. See, they'd leave everything to go be a student of that teacher they found. They'd give up everything, at least for a season, to go be a student at the feet of that teacher they found. 
But Peter and Andrew and James and John, they found the greatest teacher of all. They found the one that was worth not just giving up everything and setting under his feet and listening to his teaching. They found the one that was worth dying for. And all of them did eventually. Except for John. Well, he, they tried. But you see, Jesus wants disciples. He wants people who value him above all else. Him. He wants people who will lay everything down at a moment's notice for him. He wants people who just want to be where he is. He wants people who come alive when he speaks. He wants people who are moved simply by the sound of his voice. He, he wants people who just love being where he is. If he just wanted something else, he could make that all the time. But he wants you. And that's really the first message to the church at Ephesus. If you get anything out of it, I hope that you get that. Understand, as good as all the things were that the church at Ephesus was doing, and he never said it wasn't good. It was devastating that they were doing it without him. And isn't it amazing that we can do all things, all kinds of things for God without God. Oh, now he was in the midst of them, but apparently they didn't recognize that because they left his, their first love, see? Now before you get too hard on that church, how many times have you sat through worship knowing that Jesus is in the midst of you but not even take time to acknowledge or recognize that he's there? See, how many times have you sat when it's my preaching, teaching, or somebody else's, and you sat underneath the teaching of the eternal word of God, not even recognize that this is Jesus. He's the living bread, the living word. He's here. How many times have you sat on your, your morning with your coffee to, to kind of begin your devotions, and you open up the book, and all you can think about is getting done? I know you've got to do it because it's the Christian thing to do. We want to make sure we take pictures to post on social media about you know, our Bible and our cup of coffee. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, you know. That's fine. But we ought to do it. But why? Who are you meeting with? See, you're having a meeting. He's there. I don't feel him. That's not what it's about. Debbie and I are in our third decade of marriage now. We just celebrated Valentine's Day. Inevitably, everybody asked, What'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? Yeah. Well, not much. But we enjoyed every second of it. We stayed home. Sat on the couch, we got some food, we brought it in. We sat on the couch and we just enjoyed being there with one another. Now believe me, I'm not knocking all the romantic, romantic creative thing. I've never been accused of being very creative. But that's what we both wanted to do, see. 
and we really did enjoy it. Now, I want you to understand something. When Tammy and I first started dating, I don't know what she felt, and I won't ask us, but it was like electricity. She'd get close to me. Electricity. I could smell her perfume. After going into three decades, <laughs> I don't always feel, and she doesn't always feel, electricity. Matter of fact, I found out I can be annoying sometimes. <laughs> she never told me that when we were dating, but she does let me know that from time to time. Let me say this. I don't always have to feel goosebumps, but there is nobody I would rather spend my nights and days with than my beautiful wife. I don't have to be running around doing all kinds of things for me to enjoy being with her. All we can, we can just sit in the same room together, and there is nothing. To be honest with you, the older I get, the more I begin to realize there is not hardly anything in the world I enjoy more than just that. Matter of fact, it's really hard. I'm getting to the point where I used to love to run, 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 do this and do that and do this and do that. And I've come to the point right now where I tell you what, God's got to really speak into my heart or you've got to really be important for me to just kind of give up a night at home just to be with my wife. I enjoy every second of that. We don't even always have to be talking. Sometimes she says, Lynn, stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go there. But do you understand what I'm saying? Do you get it? See, there's something about a mature love. It's not that you don't ever feel electricity. It's not that those feelings aren't. It's just a matter of there's just a deep down knowing that there's nowhere I'd rather be. You see, every day you step down with the Word of God, you're having a meeting with majesty. Jesus is right there. And I know when you first got to know Him, when you first got close, you felt electricity. And I know there were goosebumps. And I know every word that jumped out and every song that you heard on the radio. And it was just so awesome. Because, you know, let's just be real honest. You were falling in love with the bridegroom. But now we're walking with him, and sometimes we've forgotten what we're in this for. And you know what you need to do is when you meet with majesty, it don't matter whether you feel anything or not. Just understand, recognize, he's in the room. Understand and recognize, this is his letter to you that you're reading. Understand and recognize when you're singing these songs, you're singing songs of love to him. A real person in the room. He promised. Two or three gathered together in his name. He's there. And you know what happens? The more that you realize that, the more that you recognize that, not only is there this deep down knowing and abiding love, but you'll find that many of the same feelings that you once felt will all of a sudden begin to return, and you aren't even running after it. You're not even, it's not like it's something you have to have. It's just something that begins to return because what happens? You've gone back to doing the first works. 
You say, I didn't stop telling my wife I love her. I still tell her I love her. I didn't stop giving her cards on Valentine's Day. I still do that. I didn't stop spending time with her. I still spend time with her. I didn't stop appreciating her. I still appreciate her. It's not like I'm saying, honey, I'll see you once a week. Then after that, no, I try to see her and spend time with her every time that we can because I want to. She doesn't have to wonder if I want to be with her. I hope that I show that in everything I do all the time, that there's nowhere else that I'd rather be. Listen, when's the last time that your Heavenly Father, when's the last time that your Savior and King knew that there is nowhere else on this planet that you would rather be than in His presence right now? When was the last time that He felt like there was no other voice that you wanted to hear more than His voice speaking to you right now, this moment? When was the last time that you took time to just stop and say thanks Lord I love you Lord I know I've been walking with you for a long time now but God it's been a long time since I've told you just how much I love you God I love you I don't know why you ever loved me I don't know why you ever sought me I don't know why you ever purchased me but God I'm so glad I don't feel like I deserve to be your own but God I'm so glad that you love me enough to make me your own and I want to tell you that and I can't tell you enough when is the last time remember Repent. That means change. Go back and do the first works. Unless you repent, you can still do all kinds of things for God. You just lose all the light. You lose all the influence. But why would you want to do that? There's so much more. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for your word and we thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that you're not, you didn't call us and you didn't equip us. You didn't save us. You didn't forgive us just so we could do this and that for you. You could raise up anybody, anywhere, anytime to do that. You speak to us the same thing that you spoke to the church at Ephesus. I'm not just interested in all the things you're doing. I know you. I know you're inside and out. I know your dreams and your motives and your ambitions. I know your thoughts. I love you. You've done all kinds of things. And I know what you've done. I see your patience and your endurance, but you forgot why you're doing it. You've left your first love. It's not forever gone. You can go back and get it. You know where you left it. Just remember. Remember how much I love you. Remember what I did to rescue you and set you free. Remember what I've given you. Repent. Come back to me. Come back to me. I'm right here where you are. And I'm never going to leave. Your light may be flickering, but I'm here. Just repent. Just come back to me. Return to your first love. God, I believe that's the message you're giving to each of us. Father God, there are some whose hearts may be burning bright for you. Their passion may be burning strong for you. And God, I'm so grateful for that. I pray that it would never ever away. But Father God, for those who have forgotten the glorious presence that you have. Those, for those of us, Lord, who may have forgotten why we do what we do. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that we would hear your voice today and we would come running back to your arms, back to your presence, back to your words. 
God, that we would allow you to, just like the father of the prodigal, to meet us where we are, to embrace us, or to celebrate with us coming home. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, if you're in this room today and you've never come home truly the first time, you don't know Jesus, you've never known him, you may know about him, you may know what he did, but you don't really know him. You've never given him your heart, your life. You've never allowed him to cleanse you and forgive you, or maybe you have, but you know you're not walking with God today. You know you've walked away. Nobody has to convince you of that. It's been a choice. Maybe it came on you quickly and you didn't realize you were doing it, but you never have made a change. God's dealing with you today. If you need to give your heart to Jesus or get right with God before I pray about anything else with anybody else, I want to pray for you. If you need to give your heart to the Lord or return to Him today in any way or form, would you lift your hand anywhere in this room? He wants you. He doesn't just want what you can do for Him. He wants you. Okay, then, child of God, it's very easy to get caught up in doing all the right things and staying away from all the wrong things even, but forget why. To walk away from the one who called us, to walk away from our first love. The good thing is that we can hear in Jesus' word to the church at Ephesus is that he don't give up on us. He keeps pursuing. He knows. He knows. Oh, he's seen every good thing you've done. But he also sees where you've left your first love. But he hadn't given up on you. And his word to you today is remember, repent. Go back and do it, the first works again. Go back and start reading the word of God and praying and seeking my face again. Just because you want to know me more. Just because you want to hear my voice. Just because you want to spend time with your king. Go back. Come home. If God's dealing with your heart today and you're a Christian and you love God and you're doing all kinds of things for him, but you know without any doubt that you've forgotten why you were doing it. You've left your passion somewhere along the way. You left your first love. You know God's speaking to you. It's an awesome thing that he never quits, he never gives up on us. But you have to be the one that chooses to return. If that's you today and you know God's speaking to you, I'd love to pray for you before we close. I want you to lift your hand anywhere in the room if you know that's you. I need to return to my first love. I know I do. I know I do. I need to return to my first love. I need to repent. I need to go back and do the first works. I need to remember why I'm in this to begin with. I need to get back to the Father's heart. I need to come home. Anybody else, you know that's you. Just lift your hand right where you are. I believe God wants to ignite a new passion in your heart for him. Anybody else, just lift your hand. You can put it right back down. If you haven't lifted your hand yet, you know God's speaking to you. I want to pray for you, not just today, but as I think about you throughout this week. Anybody else, you know God's speaking to you about that today. Okay, let's stand together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just come into agreement with everybody who just lifted up their hands in response to your word today. Father God, we can do all kinds of things for you without ever really acknowledging you. We could spend all kinds of time laboring for you without really loving you. 
with a passion that we once loved you. And Father God, I just pray today that as people have heard your voice, Lord God, that they've remembered. In this room today, the Holy Spirit has caused them to remember from whence they've fallen. And I thank you that even by lifting their heads, they've made the first step to repent, to turn, to change. I thank you now they will go back and do the first works. Lord, that they'll run after you with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. That they'll pursue your presence. God, they'll allow you to grip them with your love once again. Father God, we thank you for doing that work, for welcoming them as they come running back to your arms today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you today.